stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T, and my guest is Lynn Barrett. Lynn is an author and a facilitator of writer's workshops and memoir classes, and she's currently preparing to publish her book called Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. It follows her discovery of and her recovery from multiple personality disorder, which is now called Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID for short. Welcome to the show, Lynn. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Johnny. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. So that sounds like quite a story. I would imagine that that's not something that developed over a short period of time. So can you tell me what life was like growing up with that and how you came to realize that you needed help with that and how you found that help? Well, I will be happy to share that with you as best I can. And also to share with you my faith journey that really coincided with this discovery and recovery process. So I grew up in a relatively small family. It was a very controlling family, and I actually have very few memories of what life was like growing up as a small child. And we'll get back to that in a little bit in this conversation. But I guess I would say that I always felt like I was a little bit different and maybe a little bit defective, but somehow I managed to grow up and I went to college and I met a man that I thought was a really nice man. We got married. We had four children. And for about 15, 16 years, I was supremely happy being a stay-at-home mom and just uh, taking care of this wonderful family that we had created. I want to explain that during the time that just came after this really wonderful fairyland of life that I lived in, I was also becoming a teacher. I taught in a Quaker school I was the head of a Quaker school Then I taught in public school and went to school to become an administrator and I became a public school administrator. So I'm doing all of these professional things competently, but my ability to manage my personal life and my home life was slipping through my fingers. And I couldn't imagine why, because I loved my family so much that it didn't make any sense to me. I'll go back to my childhood. My father was an atheist. My mother was an agnostic. Mm. My father taught us that if you can't see, hear, taste, touch, or feel it, it doesn't exist. He also said that people who believe in God are either stupid or weak. I had this yearning as a small child for something more for God, but I didn't know how to say that. And of course, when we're children, our parents are God of a sort. And I didn't want to be stupid or weak. So I more or less followed in the footsteps of my family and became an atheist, or I was an atheist, or that's what I was supposed to be in the family that I lived in. And the man that I married was an ex-altar boy, and he was also an atheist. So when we married, we had these beautiful children, but it was a little atheist family. And I would say here now, with all due respect, that atheism is much a religion as any other religion. That is sort of what motivated us and how we saw the world. Again, I was so very happy until about maybe 15 or 16 years into the marriage and something just wasn't right. I didn't know what wasn't right, but something wasn't. 
And I learned that my husband had been having an affair for two years. And then years later, I actually discovered that he had been having some affairs off and on throughout our marriage. But he loved me, or so he said, and he wanted to reconcile, but I wasn't able to do that. So then he got very angry, and he really did some things that were meant to hurt me. What that did is make my wonderful little fantasy land (laughs) fall apart. Mm. It no longer was safe, and certainly it was not happy. So I began having other symptoms, even as we were going through the process of trying to have a separation and then a divorce, I began to realize that I did not feel like myself. I didn't feel like the person that I knew that I was. I felt unreal and my surroundings felt unreal. My emotions and my thinking didn't match. I had multiple strands of thought going on in my head at one time. I had almost constant body pain. And and sometimes it was so bad, I would crawl up into a fetal position and pull the blankets over my head and stare out into space. I lived with suicidal ideation for a long time, and I actually attempted suicide once. So all the time that this is happening, I'm also doing all those professional things Mm. that I talked about. So I had two different lives. I had a life where I was decompensating, and I had a life where I was excelling. And that in itself made me feel crazy because I didn't understand what was going on. I had no idea. Idea what was going on. My divorce was not an easy one, but this was more than that. This was something different. So about two years after I attempted suicide, I checked myself into the women's unit of a psychiatric hospital, and I stayed there for 30 days. It was stabilizing for me. When I came out, I found a new therapist and then eventually was diagnosed, but we'll get back to that. So you talked about having these two separate lives, one of being excellent in everything you do and one of struggle and despair. Do you think that you had two separate personalities for each of those lives? I had over 20 separate personalities. Oh, wow. But at this point in time, I didn't know that. I see. And so, yes, at that time, it felt like I was two different people. Mm -hmm. That is how it felt to me. And I had no explanation for that. So I want to talk about my faith now. We know that God finds his way into us through the cracks in our facade, through our brokenness. And I was having trouble just making it through every minute of every day. I was having trouble staying alive. And so I had this deep yearning for God, but I had really literally been programmed not to believe in God. So there was no way that that was going to happen. But I started to pray. And when I prayed, I wasn't praying because. I thought anyone would answer my prayer. I was praying because the act of prayer kept me alive. And it was a very simple prayer. It was, God, give me wisdom and strength. God, give me wisdom and strength. God, give me wisdom and strength. And I prayed that over and over again. And about a year later, I looked back and I thought, oh, I'm getting stronger. And I'm I'm getting a little smarter too. And, And it does feel like someone's answering my prayers. But that didn't make me believe in God. It just told me that prayer seemed to be effective. When I went into the hospital, I had learned the serenity prayer that is used in 12-step programs so effectively. Well, I took that prayer and I changed it for myself. So this was my new prayer. And it was, 
God, grant me the courage, the strength, and the wisdom to know myself and do your will. So I knew that there was stuff inside of me that I didn't understand because of these crazy feelings I had. I needed to know myself, and then I wanted to do God's will. So that prayer I prayed for years, and that sustained me through my new faith and through all of my healing. Another aspect of my faith before I believed in God, I lived near Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is called the Christmas City. Mm -hmm. And for a number of years, I would go to the Central Moravian Church Christmas Vigil, which was a vigil of light. And I was so broken. I was hurting so much. I could barely make it through the day. But I would sit there and I didn't believe in God. But the light and the music and the story sustained me. And I began to be more open to faith, even though I wasn't ready to go there wholeheartedly. And there is where I discovered the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness never, ever, ever overcomes it which has been, of course, a seminal scripture passage for me all my life. And in truth, I want to say, and I I witness to this, that that is true, that I have been in the deepest darkness and the light always wins. I say the light always wins, even when you don't believe in the light, because I didn't believe in the light, but the light always wins. So another experience of faith during this time that I was decompensating was that I was hired to not only teach in a Quaker school, but also to help start it. And I knew that these parents who were starting the school were going to offer me the job. And I said to them, I really love working with you, and I hope you offer me the job, but I have to be honest with you, I don't believe in God. And they said to me, we don't think that matters to us because we can see that you have exactly what we need for our children. And they had this faith and this trust in me. They saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And somehow they knew that God was working through me too. So I came to this Quaker school and every every day I would say to the children, there's that of God in every one of you here and in everyone all over the world. That's a basic Quaker tenet. It just rolled off my lips. And I realized a year later that I wasn't lying. I didn't feel dishonest. I really believed what I was saying to these children. And so it was through my work with the Quaker Quaker school and a Quaker mentor that I actually had a what what perhaps many people would call conversion experience, but I call it receiving the faith I always had. Mm. Because I really believe I always had that faith. And there was this wall that had been built up in my childhood against having faith in God. And in this experience, that wall just fell down. And so what was always there was now allowed to grow. And so that was really a profound and wonderful experience for me. So this is all happening while I'm still undiagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. Eventually, my therapist suggested that this is what was happening. And I asked for a second opinion. And I was sent to a psychiatrist who confirmed that diagnosis. And I'd like to explain to you a little bit what dissociative identity disorder is. When I was diagnosed, it was called multiple personality disorder. And that name changed about two years later. When small children experience chronic abuse or trauma, they separate their mind from their body in order to be able to go back to the caregiver who they rely on and not know about the hurt and the abuse and the trauma. 
So a part of your brain and body carries the memory of the trauma, and a part of it knows nothing about uh, this trauma and just goes back out to trust your parents, trust your grandparents, trust your neighbors, whoever it might be. You have to trust those people because you're just little and you can't take care of yourself. So you have to trust them. So you block off the abuse so that you can do that. But then other parts of your brain and your body carry the knowledge of the abuse. And so that's what happened with me. And over the course of time, as I already mentioned, I had over 20 alters. It was about 10 years leading up to my diagnosis where I didn't know what was happening, but I was falling apart. The word for that is decompensating. And then it was 10 years after when I did very intense therapy to give my alters the opportunity to share their stories, to heal them, and to call God into that presence as well to do that work of healing. And at the end of that second 10 years, I integrated quite naturally without any fanfare. Jesus tells us that he comes to set us free and whom the sun sets free is free indeed, right? And that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So tell me about your journey from that point of how God has proven himself with that freedom that he's given you and that victory and that abundant life. Tell me about that. Yes, thank you for asking. And that is exactly what God did is to bestow upon me abundant life that I never imagined would happen. So at the time that I integrated, I was the principal of the school. And I had discovered at this point, I was a member of the United Church of Christ. And through the United Church of Christ, I became connected with a group called Gestalt Pastoral Care. And Gestalt Pastoral Care is a healing modality that combines Gestalt strategies with spiritual companioning and healing prayer. And I went to a training. It was a full year training of Gestalt Pastoral Care. And these wonderful people just prayed me through the discernment of leaving my job and my financial security and going to seminary. Like, really, why are you doing this, Lynn? You've just gotten to where you want to be, and you're going to leave it all behind, and you're going to go to seminary. And I didn't even know what I would do with a seminary degree, but I just knew that was where I was going to have to go. And God spoke to me and spoke to me through these wonderful people who had been praying all their lives. And here I was, a newbie who was still learning how to pray. And they prayed me through it. And there I was. And I went to Lancaster Theological Seminary. And it was the best decision that I could have made. And it was clearly a decision of discernment of God's will. At that time, then I, I, I did become a church pastor and I served two churches and I became a certified spiritual director. And my life didn't become perfect all at once, but just slowly but surely, gradually, it started to expand and take on wonderful love that I had been yearning for. My children, who had certainly suffered during my decompensation, we, we healed together and we reconciled. Even my ex-husband and I did some reconciliation only to a certain point, but it was enough to make our lives so much fuller. And then I had this amazing opportunity to be there with people in these two churches throughout their life journeys and to help them grow in faith and in love of God and of Jesus, of coming to know the risen Christ 
in themselves as I have learned to know the risen Christ within me. And so it was just an amazing time. And I came through, I guess that was another, oh, I'm so bad at timelines. I guess that was another 15 years, you know, of my life. And then I came close to retirement and I thought, well, I should write a book. You know, I've had so many interesting things happen in my life. I I should write a book. But every time I would think about that, a blank would come up and I couldn't think of anything to write about. And I thought that's really odd because I'm a good writer and I have things to write about. Why can't I think of what to write about? And so once again, God entered into my heart and said, you need to write about this story. This story needs to be written about because other people need to hear it. Because there are so many people out there who are suffering from DID. There are therapists who don't know really much about treatment of DID. And your story can help both of those groups of people so that they can also come to know healing and come to a fullness of life. This is your new call in. This is a ministry. It's not a ministry I'm paid for. It's not a ministry that is connected to an organized function, but it is a ministry that God has laid upon my heart that I'm finding my way through now. And it really is uh, quite amazing. So I have written my memoir and I have begun to lead writers workshops for people with dissociative disorders and memoir classes. And I write a weekly blog and newsletter for those same people. And it's been just amazing to me because as is true with all ministry that we receive as much as we give. And so I have been so blessed to come to know these very gifted women and men who have suffered greatly and are now able not only to write beautifully about it, but also to trust each other and themselves enough to share it. And I I can't emphasize that enough, that when you have been violated as we have been, that trust is a huge issue. So I am just blown away by how these people have learned how to trust in a very short period of time in order to share what God has put in them to share about their experiences. And it's healing because God says that when we keep things underground, it's really hard for God's light to touch them. But when we bring it up and expose it to the light of God, then God can do amazing things and miracles, which I have certainly experienced myself and which I see in in many of these people that are in my workshops. So tell me the title of your book again, and tell me where people who are listening, who are interested in finding those workshops, where they can go to get there. Thank you for asking me that question. The book is called Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. And the author is me, Lynn Barrett. And you can find out more about the workshops on my website at www.lynnbarrett.com. And that's spelled L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. And I'd like to, in conclusion, really highlight the fact that people think this is a rare disorder, but it's not. Research says that between 1% and 5% of the world population has DID, and that puts it right next to bipolar disorder and schizophrenia in terms of prevalence. 
So your neighbor or someone down the street or someone sitting in the pew with you at church could be suffering from this in a church service of 100 people. Anywhere from one to five people may have it either diagnosed or undiagnosed. So it's a good thing to learn so much more about because we can be compassionate. We can walk next to people and we can help to correct misinformation about this very creative coping strategy that young children If you were going to leave our audience with one thought about God, what would that be? God is always there, even when we can't feel God, even when we can't hear God, even when our minds play tricks on us and we're not even sure that we believe in God. God is always there. And God's grace is sufficient for us because his power is made perfect in our weakness. God is always there. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And it's such a blessing to hear how God has brought you out of your despair into his glorious light. Thanks again for being a guest. I really appreciate your sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.